Welcome to the Human Predator Pack Mule Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Baumgartner. I'm a strength and conditioning coach, I'm a writer, and I'm an outdoors person just like you. And I created this show to help you be more successful in the outdoors, both by training your body to handle the rigors of each hunt and to do it over the long haul, and to introduce you to some great guests they are going to teach you some skills and tell you some great stories. Again, I'm Todd Baumgartner, and this is the Human Predator Pack Mule Podcast. Hey guys, it's Todd. Welcome to this first episode. I'm fucking pumped. Uh, this was a, an incredible conversation. It, it was with my friend Steve Opat of Alaskan Odysseys. Um, he's a great dude. If you haven't listened to his podcast, he's awesome. He does some funny stuff on Instagram. Um, he has some great articles in like Western Hunter, Journal of Mountain Hunting, all over the place. And he really um, was the impetus for the idea of human predator pack mule like the whole concept that kind of influenced my thinking and how to create this. So it's appropriate that um, I started out with him. It's, he's a great dude. Uh, I was pumped to have him. Before we get into the show, one quick thing. I want you to check something out for me. I want you to go to grumpyduckco.com. What is grumpyduckco.com? If, listen, if you have a semi-auto shotgun and you're into having sweet-ass bolt handles on your shotgun, that is the place you got to go. They're made out of titanium, right? So they're not going to rust. They're going to be super light. They're going to last for a long time. And you're going to have sweet stuff in your duck blind or on the upland fields or wherever you are that guys are going to be like, man, his gun looks pretty damn sweet. So I want you to check those guys out. GrumpyDuckCo.com. You can check them out on Instagram as well, at GrumpyDuckCo. All right, let's get into the show. So, Steve, this is, uh, this is the first episode. And I think it's appropriate. This is the origin, origins episode, easy for me to say, of the Human Predator Pack Mule podcast. And I think it's uh, 100% appropriate that you are kicking it off because you are a big part of the reason that the, the concept exists. So this is going to be a fun time. Yeah, I think it's a cool that I get to start it off because I didn't really give you a choice. <laughs> That's true. It's like... <laughs> I, I, so I remember I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to everybody else. I was like, Hey man, I, I sent him the, the trailer for the podcast and he was like, Oh, I love it. That's awesome. When am I a guest? And I was like, when like now? And, and he's like, well, I, I need to be the first one. Cause we need to talk about the origins. And I was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, yeah. Uh, and here we are. So I'm excited. This is cool. I, uh, I haven't got to, uh, I mean, we've had so many conversations, but we haven't really recorded one successfully and then put it out into the world and actually talked about stuff. So I'm excited to get going with that. I'm excited, too, because this is this is well, me talking to you because you're my buddy and I love you, but also me talking to the people who might be perusing this. And it's good to get it in the first two minutes, and 30 seconds. Uh, Todd's a doer. Todd's uh, we had this idea. And he kind of probed me a little bit to see how on board I was going to be. And I was all on board, but I don't get things done quickly. Um, and Todd's like, well, I'm going to go for it. And, and here, you know, a couple weeks later, amongst all the other hats you got going on, there's a, a trailer for the Hunter Predator Pack Mule podcast. <laughs> and, and here we are. So... <laughs> Uh, trust the Todd, everyone. Trust the Todd. He will. He will get shit done. Thanks, buddy. Well, I mean, I think I think the first 
order of business is talking about some of those conversations that led to the, the impetus of that, of that idea of the human predator pack mule idea. And, um, I don't know. I want to, actually, I kind of want you to start. I don't want to hear what you have to say before I start saying anything about it. Well, um, I think the first thing I want to say is, you know, how does my audio sound? Oh, you sound good. Okay, good. And that's, uh, that's an important question because you and we, you want to deliver an amazing product, right? Like when you started a gym, you didn't just start like the average Joe's gym. You said, I'm not going to do what everyone else is doing because then they're going to get the same results. And that's the reason that people gym shop and, you know, what, what's the new year's resolution that, you know, 98% of gym memberships are only last a month or whatever, something like that. You're kind of a, a root cause guy and a do it right down to the core. Um, so as we got looking at uh, building our friendship and looking at the hunting industry and you and I really trying to become, I don't want to use the word figurehead because it sounds a little egotistical. Like it's a place of servitude for us to like really give back to our peers. I think one of the, the talks we had, I said, man, I just realized this. Like I, love the outdoors like it's it's love it burns I miss it with this pain in my heart when I'm away from it I like when I'm in it I'm in a flow state I mean it's exactly where I want to be every time I'm in it and you know natural progressions in life I'm finding myself at this period where I've 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 done all the young adult things that have set me up to be in a position where I can give back to it. And that's really where our conversations kind of kept coming back to is like, can you believe this bullshit that's out there? <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, this is Bush. This Bush league. It is. Um, and we just kind of started doing something about it. And you, you move very fast. I do. That's, I mean, that's, Hey man, it's like I—I'll uh, I'll say this before I jump into what I want to say in response to what you're saying. Is uh, I was watching—I know you know that I—I I signed up for that uh, master class thing um, last year. I've been kind of like going through different ones each time, and so I did Jimmy Chin. So you know who Jimmy Chin is? No. So Jimmy Chin is the guy that made Free Solo the producer, like the guy that filmed and produced it. Gotcha. He, he's an incredible uh, photographer and videographer. Like he's a really neat dude. He's done all kinds of adventure photography and gone to all kinds of crazy places with all kinds of cool people. And so, you know, I did his master class when I started, I was like, I got a decent camera I bought from actually our buddy Morgan. And um, I started getting into some stuff. Cause like, you know what? I go to some pretty cool places every year. Like I'm coming back to Alaska with you this year. I'm going to Wyoming um, about a month after I get back from Alaska. And it's like, I should, I need to be able to tell some stories with the images that um, beyond just writing. And um, so I got a camera and I was like, man, I'm going to go through this Jimmy Chin one. Cause this guy seems really cool. And at the end, like during the last, during the last um, like video of the course, he says something that I think just, more people need to follow and listen to whether it's like, you know, you're going to take the hunting trip that you've been pushing, putting off, or you're going to, 
do the thing that you said you were going to do. It's like, it's, it's commit and then figure everything else out. And that's <laughs> and, seriously, dude. And that's just kind of, I mean, that's kind of how I, that's how I live my life. That's how I get things done. That's how the, my, my other business strength faction, that's how it started. That's how it became successful. It's like, well, we're going to do it. I'm not sure exactly how yet, but we're going to do it. We're going to get it done. And so that's, that's kind of like when he said that, I was like, yes, that is it. And that's what more people need to do. It's like, well, I'll do it. It's like, no, figure out how you're going to get to Wyoming, figure out how you're going to get to California, whatever it is, and go do that fucking thing, man. Cause it's like, we die and it happens real fast, but not to get too dark. I think to come back to what you said, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing for me is like I, I look around and, and I I know I haven't been on the most brutal hunt yet. I can honestly say that. But I have trained people to do all kinds of ridiculously vigorous and demanding things. You know, I train tactical guys. I train I help train a tactical unit. You know, I've trained people in the NFL. I've trained marathon runners. I've trained all kinds of folks. And so I, I get the human body. I get training. I understand it. And I've I've at least I've hunted, like I've hunted at higher altitudes. I've walked up mountains to hunt. So I get, I get what's going on. And, and when I looked around the industry, I was like, man, this is, there's just nothing that actually prepares people. And when the, the term that I like to use builds the machinery to get people ready to go do this. And I, and I, and the thing is, it's like, it's where a lot of other people were years ago and the hunting industry is just behind. They just don't know. Um, and it's, it's brutal because people just don't know. And it's, it's all ignorance and they, they don't know how to train people. And I haven't seen anything yet where I'm like, yeah, that's good. I like that. And I've looked at, I've looked around the entire industry. I'm like, man, I just don't see it. So I was like, you know, I love hunting. I love the outdoors like you. It's like, you know, i I find a reason to be out there all the time, whether it's spring squirrel season in Virginia or I'm hunting or I'm fishing or whatever it is, or if I'm just going out and taking a walk and taking pictures, like I just want to be outside and I want people to be able to enjoy it. Like, and you can always enjoy shit way more when you have the physical capabilities to know that you have the reserves or, and the ability to do whatever it is that the situation is going to demand of you. And you can approach it with more confidence and, you know, looking around the industry, I was like, man, there's nobody else that can do this. And it's like, I can, you know, and, and that's kind of where, you know, all the conversations that you and I have been having. And it's like, I, I've honestly, I was like reluctant to start a training thing. Cause I was like, you know what? I really want to focus on writing and, you know, you and I are, you obviously are farther down the chain with me with getting into the outdoor writing and getting into that space. And I was like, I don't actually know if I want to train people. And uh, because I want to focus on that, but like the reality is, it's like, I feel almost obligated. I really do. Cause I just don't see anything else where it's like, you know, and people can say, who the hell is this bum gardener guy? It's like, well, I know what the hell I'm doing. I know how to train people. I know how to prepare the human body. And it's like, I feel almost like, I feel like I owe it to this, this thing that I love to be able to give these parts of myself that I know to it. You know what I mean? Well, I do know what you mean. I think I'm making notes of all these things that I want to touch on. Uh, one of the problems with being a writer is you have this idea of how you want to do something. And you fancy yourself an artist, but if you actually want to help the largest number of people, you sometimes have to just follow the mold that delivers it to the most number of people. So I think to give you a little reassurance, like you could write 
all the outdoor articles you want and and people might read them and and say that's yeah, I mean that's pretty cool. I appreciate that. Up up to and including wow, this guy changed my life. But if you really want to make the most impact in the outdoor industry, this is probably the way to do it. No, it is. So, you know, like it, it's it's probably along the lines of the whole writer's mantra of like killing your baby. Like maybe you don't want to because you you really like the like the elegance or the glamour of being a writer. But I think you've recognized that this is also what you know and know how to create it. And if you just do that, you'll you'll create the impact that you ultimately it's the impact that your value system ultimately wants. Do you think so? I do. I, I mean, I do. I also really, really just enjoy writing and I enjoy exploring, you know, that kind of space. And I know, I know eventually I'll have, I'll have books about the outdoors published and I'll have magazine articles and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, and that's like, I guess, I don't know, man, I guess, I don't know if that's gratification that to know that I've obtained the skill to be able to do that, which is cool to me, but it's also, you know, it's just fun. It's, it's, I get to express myself in a different way. And I think that's why I was pushing back against it so much. Cause I've just done so much training. I've done, I've, I've done it. I mean, for my entire adult life. And so when it came to that, I was like, man, I just don't know if I want to do that. But then I, like, I, like I said, like I've, you know, following different things on Instagram, looking at programs that get sent to me. And I'm just like, I have to, I have to, I don't have a choice. Like this is, something that I have to do because I know that I can do this better than anybody that's doing it right now. And I, I mean, I might sound like an arrogant prick when I say that, but there's just, there's just nobody in that space that, that understands training the way that I understand it. And um, so I was like, well, I got to do it. That's how it is. So let's figure out um, the framework and what people need and what it is to, uh, to be able to deliver it. And, and that's where it kind of came back to some of the conversations that you and I have been having about like, okay, so what is the experience of a hunt? Like what, what does it take to be able to, man, take in to complete and to digest like the entire thing. And when I say hunt, man, like, I mean it from the broadest sense and the narrowest sense, like the broadest sense of like, you're taking a walk, you know, in a Pennsylvania field for, uh, for pheasants, for stocked pheasants, you know, whatever. It's like, if you, that's, that's, it can be a totally enjoyable experience to hopping on an airplane and flying to Alaska to go chase caribou uh, in above the Brooks range, like whatever, wherever you're going. And so it's like, what do you need to be able to enjoy that? And what do you need to be able to do to be successful? And, and that's where it kind of brought me back to like, well, what are those? There's like, there's always three things. There's always three things. Right. And, you know, it comes down to, and that's where human predator pack mule came from. It, uh, after one of our conversations, I don't remember which one, but I was like, man, it's, it is, it's like those three things. And it's like human. And, and what that means is like the human, like the physical abilities, the, the, the machinery that I keep talking about, like you have to have your cardiovascular system in shape. You have to have your joints healthy. You have to have a certain amount of relative strength. You have to have these, uh, some, some speed some resiliency. Like these are things that you need to be able to go out and do these things well and feel as though you can manage yourself and be confident because man, when you're like, when your body feels good and when you know that you've gotten yourself 
and to a place where you've improved your fitness and you feel that confidence, it's a whole nother feeling, man. It's a whole nother thing. So we need that. But the human part is also like the human part of hunting and really understanding where you're connecting with it and why you're doing it and why you love that connection. And then being able to tell that story from a human aspect. Um, and then it was like, you know, you and I had, had all those conversations about, you know, you have, you wrote a great article um, about the cougar and hunting. And I, I don't know when that's going to be published or anything. So I'm not going to go too far into it, but that, that, um, that conversation made me think about more about predators. It's like, well, how do we have to move when we're a predator? It's like, we have to move slow. We have to be in control. Like, and that shit is exhausting if you don't train yourself to do it. And so we have to train to move slowly. We have to train to move more like predators because when you're still hunting and you're moving through the woods, you have to move about half as fast as you think you should be moving. Um, I don't have to tell you that, you know, that, and another, I like the the part where you say you have to move half as fast as you think you should be moving, not half as fast as you normally do. No, 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 no. no. It's, it's, walk slower than you think slow is. Dude, there's a there's a great book by Larry Benoit. It's like How to Kill the Biggest Buck of Your Life, and he talks about that kind of stuff in it because he hunted he hunted mountain bucks up in New Hampshire, and he killed just monstrosities like things that like bucks that shouldn't exist. And uh, <laughs> seriously, and his thing like in some of his training that he talked about, like dude was dude was super fit and hunted late into his life. He actually might still be alive, but I think he'd be in his like nineties. Um was he would practice by still hunting partridges with his 22 and really? he would, yeah, that's how he would practice for hunting bucks in the off season. And he would say, it should take you 30 minutes to move 200 yards in the woods. And it's like, people don't grasp the concept of how slow that is. And we have to like, we don't have for a lot of us that, you know, I live in suburban Virginia right now. I won't forever, but I do right now. And so like to have the access to be able to stock animals and practice like that, we don't all have that all the time. So we have to prepare ourselves by training to move slow. And I just think it's something that doesn't exist in most training programs. And it's like, you have to train yourself to do that. And, you know, I really experienced it. The predator skill movement type stuff last year when I was in Wyoming and I was crawling across the top of this, I'm going to call it like, like a flat. It was kind of a rise there was a flat and then it dropped off and there was like a, uh, almost like a funnel that went between two rises and out in front was a nice looking, uh, harem of, of doe pronghorns and a buck and the buck kept running this other buck off. It was fun. I was laying there and watching them for such a long time, but I was like, Oh man, I can get into range if I crawl across the top of this and, and get over there. So, I ranged them. They were like 500 yards out. I was like, well, I got to get at least 200 yards. I got to get into about 300 yards, you know, with the way that the wind is today. And so I crawled, I crawled, I crawled. And I had done a fair amount of training before I got out there, but I had not done enough of those kind of movements. And by the time I got across that, that the top of that flat, I was cooked, dude. And I didn't, you know, I should have had my scope prepared better. I should have had a different uh, turret on my scope. I did not. So that's mistake number one. But I also wasn't thinking as clearly as I could have because I was fucking tired and I dialed wrong and I missed. I had them lined up and I just missed because I dialed wrong. 
a clean miss, which I was super duper thankful for. But then I was like, man, that really nailed it home for me even more. It's like, I got to practice this stuff more. And then really the other Pratter aspect is this, is the practice. It's just like shooting. It's, it's practicing what you're going to have to do and, and getting in and doing different, um, different, uh, movements and, and, and different, um, shooting positions and all those kind of things and practicing like that. And, you know, that was kind of stuff that you kept home for me and, and really actually pushed for me to think about. And that's something that I'm super appreciative of. Yeah. You'd, you'd mentioned the, the Cougar article that really, really stirred it. By the way, I like to call our discussions Todd talks. Hmm. Uh, Cause I think it's hilarious one. Cause I like wordplay and stuff, but they generally tend to be 18 minute discussions where one of us goes on a diatribe that's like well-founded, well-researched, not ludicrous at all. And you listen to it like, wow, that guy said some, some pretty cool stuff. And I'm going to have to go digest that, which, you know, all Ted talks are 18 minutes, a uh, little known trivia fact, um, which by the way, I think you just had a pretty good one there. I went but on it. The, I went the on Cougar article is in Western Hunter magazine. Uh, and the edition is called thrive and Western hunters doing a cool job of, giving a theme to each of their their mag their editions and that's so fun as a writer because it lets you like zero in on something that's important to you but gives you a focus gives you a point to get to um and in that in this one where i talk about how we don't spend enough time training on the motions that actually kill animals so this is where human predator pack meal came out all these things are important to getting hunting but the part of it all that actually achieves the goal, that actually punches the tag, that sends the dagger through the heart, I kind of worked into this six-part sequence. And I, I looked it up as you were talking. I have it. And so part one is sit still for hours on end without your phone and just tune into the woods. That's, that is move slow slow just get in sync and quit scaring all the animals away before you even have a chance to see them it is be a member of the environment and enjoy nature and discover that when you slow your brain down and still your body you start to see all the little bits of life that are in the woods and all those little bits of life are are the network they're all telling you everything and as we get into this more, you'll see, we'll make comparisons to like the, the suburban, the, the city life, all these things that you see on a day-to-day -day basis that cue you into the big picture and what's going on. Okay. And just a simple example is like, when you start to see cars in both lanes on the freeway and traffic is slowing down, you know that there's a traffic jam ahead. You don't have to see the car accident to know that that's ahead. You you perceive. And so the first part is going slow enough that you can perceive what's going on in the woods. Step two. This is the motions. It's walk super slow without snapping a twig. This is hard. This is the one we don't do. And it involves training your brain to, to be comfortable going slow 
and training your body to physically be able to do it. So sit still for hours on end. Walk super slow without snapping a twig. Crouch below an animal's line of sight and slowly creep closer to it. There's a certain position that we will duck into to like keep ourselves balanced on our feet. Um, so like if you suddenly get spotted, you can stop and maintain your weight shift, but also to actually get low enough to get out of their line of sight and stay there is hard. And most mm. of the time people will crouch and take like five steps and then they'll be like, Oh, my back hurts. I gotta, I gotta straighten out a little bit. And next thing you know, they're just walking. Um, it's hard. It's so hard. And we're just not naturally prepped to do it. The fourth one was belly crawl with your face touching the ground. So your head stays below the cover as for as long as you need to, to sneak into that animal. Because if you, once you're in the position that you're belly crawling, your fate is up to you. Like you are inside that animal's comfort zone. And as long as you don't mess it up, like it's up to you to do that as well as you can. And you can harvest that animal. Five, remain motionless for longer than you thought possible. That is like you're crawling right into the lair of the beast or or the animal has spotted you and you just have to freeze and make it think that you're a tree in the woods, that you belong in the woods. And it's hard. If they catch you between a step or they catch you like just about ready to pull your bow back, we all know like how long you have to just sit perfectly still and things it's Murphy's law, man. The more still you stand, the more your nose itches. Uh, and so you just have to be, this isn't just, this is where the human component, it isn't just being physically able to stand still. It's being mentally able to stand still. It's being strong. Like what does resilient mean? Resilient means you can handle the itch on your nose because you know it's not going to kill you. The mosquito bite is not going to kill you. But we feel the need to wipe it away. Like, are you mentally tough enough to, like, withstand mosquitoes crawling in your eyeball? Because they, they won't kill you. But if you don't swat them away, you'll be able to harvest that animal. And the six was raise and kill your play, prey without startling it. And this is really the ultimate, like, agility. Uh, this is where grace and preparation, like, practice and preparation all come together to form grace and this is your ability to be agile and smooth and just come up and have the confidence in your weapon and your training that like you're just going to rise up draw back rise up pull up and harvest that animal so that's i i hope people go do find this article it's you can get western hunter uh and i think we'll get you're going to be writing for them if it's up to us you'll be writing for them every month every other month too todd yeah man no i i think that that's I love that article. I love that concept. I was I was thrilled when he sent it to me before you um, before you sent it in for your final draft for the publishing. And it's I mean that's it. And it's like if if we're being honest, like you know, I'll be honest, man. Like I didn't learn that stuff when I was a kid. Like my dad didn't teach me to hunt that way. Like you know, we we went out and uh, you know, it's funny. It made me think about. I, I remember getting comfortable shooting prone, and you were there. And, and you're like, well, how did you learn how to shoot as a kid? I was like, dude, we shot from the bench. And then I went and I sat in a tree stand and <laughs> I shot resting my rifle off the crossbar on my tree stand, you know? So did it's you, like, what? didn't you send me an article right after I got home from that visit to DC? And you're, and it was like, Steve, this article pretty much sums up how I learned to hunt. And it's like your dad telling you to shoot it in the butt 
Oh, dude, no, it was terrible. I mean, <laughs> uh, we can get it. We can get into this. So I, 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 I wrote. Want to get into about, butt stuff? Are we? Uh... We're gonna talk about butt <laughs> stuff, Steve. Um, the so my dad was a terrible hunter. He wasn't a terrible hunter. My dad understood the woods. He was. Um, he understood animals. He understood their movements. Um, he could be a good hunter. My the problem with my father was he was not an ethic. That was a big issue. So, like, I, my first year, dude, I was eight years old, seven years old, somewhere, and we were spotlighting. I don't know what you guys called it in the Midwest. Did you guys call it shining or whatever? You're shining. Doing? Yeah, we yeah. call it, we call it. Spot- see, see, that's be- we could call it shining because we didn't have another name for shining, like everyone in Appalachia and the South did. Shining yeah. was something different long before you know million power million candle power spotlights came into yeah. existence yeah so yeah so we were spotting deer and we had finished hunting that day and uh we finished hunting that day base we lived in a military base at the time and i had a single shot 410 and we were driving so and um He had the spotlight held across the car. And so he holds his arm out and he's like, I want you to shoot that. So what you're going to do is aim for its butt and you're hopefully going to hit it in the head. And because he knew, you know, just, I don't know, maybe my steadiness or how the gun was going <laughs> to kick that the, that the slug was going to raise. And I did, I did exactly as he told me to do. And she dropped on sight. She just first shot, bam, I shot her right in the back of the head and killed her. And so it was like, that's the shit that I learned, man. Like, that's the shit that I learned as a kid. And there was always a part of me was like, man, I, I don't know that this is right. But it's like, you know, my dad was who I hunted with. I hunted with my dad up until, you know, he left when I was a teenager. And um, so that's what we did. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I learned. I mean, I learned like skills. Like I learned how to read sign. Like I, I could shoot a bow really well. I could. I knew how to zero rifles and knew how to do all these things, but like all of these other skills and, and actually like the other human part of being a hunter, I didn't learn that. And that's something that I've had to come back to and, and learn from my peers. And, and, and I'll call you a mentor and mentors like you as an adult to like, really, I mean, the ethics and stuff I picked up because of who I became as a person, but it's like a lot of these other things. It's like, man, I've had to, I've had to learn this stuff as an adult that I didn't learn as much as when I was a kid, quite hey, honestly. Man. I think what's what people are gonna really cue into and the reason why it's so important it's the first word in our in this entity is human. And like when you started describing human about ten minutes into this podcast, you you described like resiliency and agility and all those things that, you know, Homo sapien has in the animal kingdom. But I I was like, Oh Todd, I've been misled. I uh I thought human was <laughs> was the part of like in order to even become a predator, you have to successfully be a human. You have to successfully be able to exist in civilization. Like you don't get to hunt if you blow all your goddamn money. Uh, Gersh, during money, you know, You're like you don't, you don't, you don't get time to hunt if you have sh- terrible time management. You, you know, like you won't enjoy it if you have no reason why you're out there. Um, I just like what I was just thinking of now as you were talking was how many times 
have people in this day and age made a mistake and they just come back to like, Hey, I'm, I'm only human, you know? And so there's really, we could probably just call this the human podcast and, and really just dissect everything it is to just be mortal, just a mortal, you know, walking on two feet kind of animal. We're extremely unique in the animal kingdom, but, but I, I say all that to really tell people like, this show is to empathize with you. Todd, I know you didn't bring that up. Even though you, I mean, statistically, you may have some resentment towards your father. I don't know. We're not getting into that. But I'm, I'm comfortable as your friend enough to say, I know that you're not knocking your dad when you told that story. You are saying, like, listen, this is about me. And, like, this is what I have this is what I started with. And so anybody listening to this can just, we, like I, we empathize with you. We say like, I, I know that I'm not like, I wasn't raised by Daniel Boone. Like I'm not this savant <laughs> hunter. Like this all came through being a human and learning it slowly and taking advantage of opportunity. And I also know that you guys, listening might not want to be a savant hunter but you want to enjoy the outdoors and that's what we can that's what we can do yeah um so it's it's i mean i don't think i'm special dude no i mean that i mean it's i'll say it isn't and you're right about all the human stuff that you said i mean that's i i gave a short lip service to the human part of hunting and what it means to you and all those kind of things. But you're right. If like, you don't have the other things in line, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't have kids, but if you're not taking care of your kids, you're not doing all this other shit that you're supposed to be doing. Well, maybe you shouldn't be out in the woods, you know, but well, how much are you going to enjoy it? And that's the thing. Like, in order I think there are really some, there are some nature, sons of bitches. Successful, you have to be there. You have to be present. And so I, I the think there's some sons of bitches that just don't care though. You know what I mean? There, there <laughs> are. And we might yeah. not reach. Can't. They're not listening. They're not listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no telling them anything anyways. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. All right. Well, you had told us about human. Yeah. And you told us about predator. Well, I, we're not done with predator. I was talking for too long and you very gracefully came in and saved the day. So that's fine. Um. <laughs> but no. I think it's, it's about practice, but there's another thing. It's like the, the predator aspect is like the hunting story. So like each element has a story, right? So there's the human story about like, you know, you talk about this hunt and like where it comes from for you. So like, you know, going and, and, and killing your first pronghorn, which is something that I did last year, or like whatever this specific hunt meets you, that's a human element of that story. And like, I, you're connected. Okay. So the predator story. And that's just like, that is the hunting story as it is. Like, man, get that done. You know, some bitch, you know, swam across the stream, held his gun above his head, crawled behind some brush, laid there for two hours, waited for the moose to move. And kill, and I'm making all that up right now. But there's that aspect of the story as well. And and each element has to have that part. Of sure, we're, we're physically preparing to do these things, but we're physically preparing so that we have an experience and we have a story. And I think that that's an element always has to be considered i like that i like that you and i are obsessed with story and and for me i didn't know what to call it until somebody told me about robert mckee's work 
in writing how to write a book or a screenplay or something. So as a writer, it got referred to me and suddenly I learned that the word story is the same thing as human. It's this entity. It's this multifaceted thing. And so when, when you hear a story, I think what you and I always kind of come back to like sitting around a campfire, sitting around a hunting shack, sitting around uh, wherever. And you hear someone tell a story that, that is this multidimensional, multifaceted thing that um, uh, in the predator component means you're going to be entertained by this. It has to be entertaining so that I maintain your attention so that you get the lesson I'm trying to teach you. Even if that lesson is quick moving around goddamn much, or you're never going to see anything, <laughs> but, but sit still and listen, you know, maybe if I keep you occupied by listening to this entertaining tale, you'll get the lesson and you won't scare things away. So story is important because it keeps you entertained, but it also shares the learning lesson, shares the message. It teaches, it passes on history. Um, so that really is story is very important in each three of these heads, isn't it? Yeah. It's how we communicate. It's, it's our brains are set up for narrative and that's how we want to take in information. And that's, that's it, man. Cause it's like, if I just sat here and, and told you a bunch of shit, you know, maybe you'd be kind of interested, but if there's like an interesting story that uh, attaches to it, the le- not even just that, does it keep you interested and, and, and engaged like you're talking about? It's like there's a better chance that you're going to actually learn. So it, it absolutely has to be a, a component of everything. It's like marketers tell stories, you know, that's what they do. You know, it's just we're set up for it, man. Well, and, and anybody who follows me is going to end up really having a lot of sympathy for my uh my significant other because i say it, she hears it even more story is how we pass down all of our knowledge whether you believe in creation or um evolution we know that the printing press was not developed until 1456 somewhere somewhere in there 1400s which means like word was not really written down and captured and being able to be mass produced until 500 years ago. And so for the millennia before that, the way the human brain evolved to, to share and to receive was through story. So we're programmed to want it, to need it, to do it. Um, and that's, that's what we can do. That's what you and I are really mastering is, you know, the art of story and, and you can use story to help people with their fitness and we can use it for techniques and we can use it for life and whatever. It's, it's a really, uh, pretty neat, it's pretty, pretty neat tool, Todd. It's pretty, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I watched a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm when I was in college. I love that show. Um, <laughs> Pack Mule. Let's do that. Let's start with you on that one. When you're when you hear that and you know that it's a component of this whole shebang, what do you think about when you hear that? Hear the hear story? No, when you hear Pac Mule. When you hear about Pac-Mule. that when you hear that component. Oh well uh if I may <laughs> say I, I kinda coined this term, but it came it found me. Let me let me just tell you that the, the origin of Pack Mule found me. I'm actually working on this article where 
I talk about choosing your path. And, and I make this comparison, and by the end of the article, you don't know whether I'm talking about a hunting pack or a wolf pack, and it, it remains really obscure. And so I, I started using the term pack animal, and I was describing wolves. But, but incidentally, when I read it and, and looked, like, looked behind the edit and come through it, I was like, you know, honestly, I don't know whether I'm talking about wolves or mules, but, but nonetheless... I, I said it, it matters not if you're trying to be a better bow hunter and you hunt like a you walk through the wolf like a pack animal you're just going to scare things away and that's how a wolf hunts a wolf hunts by a chase and a mule we all know it is really not probably not any better at sneaking up on things maybe better than a human because at least they sound like a quadruped but so I know that a lot of horsemen will say that a mule is a very smart animal. Uh, I know that a lot of horsemen will say that they would rather hang out with their mule than most humans. <laughs> but I also know that, you know, they don't really have advanced strategy mental capabilities. Um, and their job, as we use them and apply them, is to take a whole lot of weight and pack it across the world. I mean, they are the pack train. I was reading this the other day in uh, in McLean, in Norman McLean's, in uh, U.S. Forest Service, nineteen nineteen. It's a great story. Great story, and he talks about how the pack mule is is unique to North America. They don't use it anywhere else. They use everywhere else. Use camels or llama or whatever, but. You want to learn how to use a pack train, you go to the, the North American West, the Rockies. Uh, and they had pack trains, 50, 50 animals uh, long. And so I just picture that animal that's like, I ain't going to be fancy about this. Just load me up. Just load her on. Try to keep her even. And I'll, I'll just slog it out. That's what I picture. That's it. I mean, the... the... The things that it encapsulates is just it's endurance and toughness. You know, that's that's that part Thank of it. Thank you for adding the grace to it, because I was going to I kind of wanted to do the build them up, like tear them down and then build them up and be like, it sounds as simple as just load them up and pack them out. But it's we got you got to prepare a body for it mm-hmm. and then you have to prepare a mindset for it. That I mean, that's why. And in, in when we think about it from a training standpoint, the human aspect comes first. Where it's like you and and the very like the physical like the Homo sapien part of human that 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 you mentioned earlier that comes first because if you don't have the raw materials and you just slap a bunch of weight on your back and you start walking around with it and you're not strong enough and you don't have the lungs or the heart for it yet and your joints aren't resilient enough to handle it you're going to end up hurting yourself or you're just going to have I mean you're going to hurt yourself in training or you're going to have a miserable hunt or you're just you're going to need a lot of help and you know. I think most folks that go out into the woods, they want to feel self-reliant. They don't want to feel like, oh, man, I'm going to have to depend on Steve to get me through this. They want to feel as though they can handle their own. And that's what the pack meal part of it is. It's the it's the specific training for the pack in and the pack out part. But it's also the embodiment of endurance and toughness. And, and that's the element of the story that it is. It's like the toughness part. It's like we some bitch we walked we walked 14 miles. And we got yeah. there and we did it and it sucked, but you know what? I'd, I'd do it again. You know, like it's that part of the story. And, and I hope everybody here 
God, what what I really hope is like I hope people follow us. I Todd, I believe that you are one of the most intelligent. Uh, like let's let me use the word versed. I believe you are one of the most versed people I know because when I use intelligent, I'm afraid people might just associate us with being like rocket surgeons, and mm. but but really have no social skills or something. But I feel like the way you at- approach things. Um, we have these conversations that are just very well educated and our decisions can be, as a result, can be very pragmatic, logical. So this conversation that we're having right now, though we put on the natural podcast guest and host facade sure, is really no different than our usual Todd talks because this, this is unscripted. We, you gave me no lead-ins on what you wanted to talk about other than the origin story. And here we are 43 minutes in, and I don't think you have one bit of editing to do in this story. No, no that's what it's um, about, I mean, man. I, I did use the reference to butt stuff, but. Oh, dude, uh, that's not coming up. I, dude, I, when, dude, when I set this up, I marked, I marked explicit. I knew it was coming. I'm not worried okay. about that. So, so, so um, where I wanted to go with that, it'll come back to me. Cause Find it. Really... What's that? Find it. Find it, Steve. Yeah. Um, shoot. <laughs> shoot. You can swear, dude. Uh, I marked explicit. You can swear. Um, what was I? What was? What kind of? Dis- talking about being was- versed. You were talking about being versed, Steve. And before that, you were talking about what endurance and toughness of the endurance that, and toughness that's what the, mules. that's what I it know is what it was. go okay, on quick i i know what i i know it finds it hard to believe that something as profound as what i'm about to say could slip a person's mind but um what i wanted to say and what you helped me see in our little todd talks in our in our conversations as it pertains to d- endurance and toughness is i Suddenly in my life, I had this understanding and this understanding came as I was, I'm battling. I never have said that I like the gym. I said, it's not a place for me. I had all these reasons why I wasn't as physically fit as I wanted to be. And I was putting up barriers alternate all additionally as a human, I have this novel that I want to write. And I was coming up with all these reasons why. I wasn't getting it done because I told myself I wasn't ready for it. And I had some debt that I took on from a, a rental property expansion process progress. And I, you know, I was getting myself out of a little bit of a financial hole. And what all of our talks helped me bring in was that your body is way more capable than what your brain will make it do. And the reason you know this is you hear stories of people lifting cars under duress, of outrunning a grizzly bear or whatever. Like when you just leave all of your your destiny to your body, it can do some freaking super what we think are superhuman because it exists outside of the realm of the comprehensible brain so what that tells you is like if you can 
find where that disconnect is. There's a margin between what your brain can can fathom and do and what your body can actually accomplish. If you can find how to like get into that, you're actually capable of so much more. So really what it has to do is like you have to train your brain to competently lead your body or to understand what it is. And that is this incremental growth. Mm-hmm. You have to replace fear with knowledge. You have to place, you know, experience gets you there. Um, and so you just, it just takes, I don't know, it takes conditioning. And so like, if you just, yeah, you want to pack your elk out 14 miles, you'll do it. Your body can do it. The body is an amazing thing, amazing ball of energy. You're just probably going to wreck some things. Yeah. (laughs) So if you can prepare it appropriately, you can both do it and do it again. There's, and the thing is, is like, and I think there's a couple things that I want to touch on. I want to touch on like the incrementally training yourself to be uncomfortable, but I also want to touch on that and, and on the actually like, say you're packing your elk out 14 miles. That's the game. Right. And that's the way that I want people to think about this. And I'm going to, I'm going to say in a story, um, when I first started working with rugby players, I used to train rugby players back in my twenties when I was running a gym in Pennsylvania and, you know, I had a rugby player come up to me and, you know, they were doing CrossFit and they wanted to continue to do CrossFit. And I was like, okay, I just got curious. It's like, I'm not going to judge you. You know, why is it that you want to continue doing CrossFit? And he said to me, well, it's the only thing that ever makes me feel the same way that I do during a rugby game. And I said, okay, I understand that. Rugby's played on Saturdays, right? Yeah, it is. How do you feel on Sunday? Like shit. Yeah. So you want to do that every day of the week and you think that that's going to put you in the position to be able to perform on Sunday or Saturday. And it kind of sunk in, you know, and it took a little time and I won him over. But the reality is, is like, you build the machinery in your training, you build the raw materials to be able to handle that 14 mile pack out, to be able to handle that stuff. You don't have to go do it all the time to be ready to do it. When you need to do it, you're going to do it. It's going to, it's, it's just how much is it going to suck when you do it? It's either going to be from one end of the spectrum. Like, you know, you get started and you're like, you know what? I actually can't do this. I need to call for help or you struggle through it, but it's way more miserable than it needs to be. And that's just training. That's building the raw materials to be able to do it and, and packing enough to know that your body's resilient and strength training enough to know that your body's resilient and, and, and building all of those other raw materials that you need that when you show up to play the game, you can play the game. It's the same thing in football, man. Smart coaches don't have their team smack and pads every day. They don't do that because they know they just need to work on the skills and they need to work on the raw materials and they need to be strong enough and in shape enough so that when Saturday shows up, they can go smack pads and they're recovered enough to do it. Here's so, a, I'm jumping in. Here, yeah. If somebody doesn't believe that, here's a really interesting little trivia fact. The winningest coach in NCAA football history is from my home state of Minnesota. St. John's, right? St. John's. John, yeah. Jag- John Gagliardi. They do not do full contact practices. Nope. They do not tackle till game day. They do not tackle till Saturday. And I got coached until he was like friggin' ninety. Yep. So. Yeah, man, it, it's the truth. Well. It's the truth. It is. You know this this goofy analogy that I was thinking of it, because I've, 
part of this is we got to recognize we're human and, and some people learn through different means. Some people are very mechanical minded. Some people are very analytical minded. They want numbers and stats. I was just thinking of this as like, of, I, I was picturing Legos. When you talk about the building blocks, that's where my brain naturally went. Okay. I would way rather that you give me, Todd, a 200 piece Lego set. Okay. With a variety of things that can build a Lego helicopter and a, or a Lego fire truck or a Lego uh, boat or a Lego town, right? So okay. I can kind of do and play whatever I'm feeling that day. Then you hand me a molded plastic single piece helicopter or a molded plastic toy, right? Because when I'm when I don't need to be a fire fire truck in my play that day, I. I, I want my building blocks back to use it for what I do need to do that day. Fair enough. I get where you're and going. And so you're telling us if you have the building blocks, you can apply them to hunting. You yes. can apply them to your everyday life. And they might also serve you in rugby and, and whatever else. But we're going to really focus on the ones for the outdoors because they're different. This was a big thing we talked about yesterday. I realized... Uh, we were fleshing out that Western Hunter article for you. And I realized like, God damn, most of the people who have ever trained, the people who first trained them, the ones who imprinted on us were our football coaches, our baseball coaches, you know, from Little League, from Pop Warner, our uh, college, or maybe we're military and you got your sergeants pressing on you. And I could not think of one person who ever taught me how to go slow. Even right. when you look at the people who are belly crawling in the military, Yes, you had to belly crawl in the military. And yes, the belly crawl is a move that you use in hunting. But they are teaching you to hurry up and get your ass underneath that barbed wire as the tracer rounds are flying over you because you got to get yourself to cover. You're in a firefight. It is not until people get into advanced sniper training that they teach them how to crawl as slow as possible. So 99.9% .9 of people who have ever trained for anything have never trained to go slow. Because that wasn't in, you don't need to go slow in football ever, ever. No. So, so this is just something that we are all, I mean, you used the word ignorant earlier and I wrote some notes, some, some words that came up like ignorant gratification, arrogance. I, I mean, I, I challenge the word ignorant a little bit because it's not because it's an inappropriate word, but because in this day and age with the racial uh, equality movements it's being used in that realm a lot um as slander hmm. uh, i think the word is like naive might be a better word i don't know i don't know man um and, and here's why and here's why i don't think that it's the wrong word because if you are selling a service or selling a product that is supposed to guide people towards an outcome that is specific, that is very desirable to the person that's paying for it. You can't be naive in, in what you're doing. Like, first of all, when it comes to exercise, you could hurt people. Second of all, when someone wants to be prepared to walk up and down a mountain, you better understand the body well enough to know the different training components that are going to build the building blocks that put them in the position to do that well. And they don't. And, and that is ignorance. That is not naivety. It might be naivety oh, okay. in thinking that they know more than they do, 
That would that's well, what I would say. But I I just I think ignorance is the right word. Here's where we agree, and it's okay for us to agree. This isn't like part of the interruption on ESPN. Um, I think the consumer is the naive one. Yeah, and the deliverer oh, for sure. is the for ignorant sure. one. And here's the thing. I'll give you an example. And and maybe it's a bad example. I don't know. But I just saw I'll tell some... you if it's a bad one. Don't worry. Okay. I saw something on Instagram today. You know Remy Warren, Warren right? Remy Warren, of I've course. I've met him. So I, I both know him and I know of him. He seems like a phenomenal dude. He seems like a great dude. He is an impressive He's an impressive fucking hunter. He's tougher than shit. Like he is just a bad dude. And he was given training advice on Instagram about this hill that he runs up. And it's like, Remy Warren is a bad son of a bitch. And he will always be one. And he will forever to be able to do things that I cannot do. But does he know how to train people like I know how to train people to repair their bodies? Absolutely not. But people see him and naively believe like, well, if that's what Remy's doing, that's what I need to be doing. And it's the same thing that people see with like, well, if this NFL football player is training this way, that's what I need to be doing. And it's just not reality. And I will say again that I am in awe of Remy Warren. I am so impressed by him. I think he's an incredible – he seems like an awesome dude. He's an incredible hunter. He'll forever be able to do things that I can't do. But he's not the guy that you want to follow for training advice. I just – he called survivorship bias. And that means that people are able to do things in spite – of what they did to get themselves there, not because of it, but people attribute what they did to their success. And that is the case a million times over in the hunting training industry right now, from what I've, I, I can see. It's like, you're not doing this. Like that. You're not doing this because of what you did. You're doing this in spite of what you've done. And I honestly, when we first started working and even still some working with the tactical unit that we work with, we still deal with that because they're freak shows and they can do whatever they want because they have brains that are mutants. And it's just, that's who they are. And, and I think normal folks need to understand that. And you also just don't have the ability to be in the mountains as much as he does and to do all the things that he does. Like you're working a normal job and then you got maybe one or two big trips a year. It's just, you're not Remy Warren and that's okay, but you just have to be smart about how you approach things. So it's like, I see where you're, I think you're right on the, on the part of the consumer. It is somewhat naivety. So it's funny. I was just thinking like, okay, again, like the Lego example, let's put it in a few different realms so okay. people can hit it, but not more than three examples. You wouldn't rush to take it marriage advice just from, just because somebody has been married 40 years, because there are a lot of people who have been married 40 years. <laughs> They're miserable. Despite, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Despite. Now I will say too, Remy, I believe is one of the good ones and I like his podcast. He's very direct. Oh, I he's awesome. I can tell that he does some things right. But I love how we can, you can confidently say, this is my background. Now, here's another thing that I want to say. Uh, oh, I was going to give more examples. Um, that's okay. The marriage one's a good one. Financial advice. Um, I'm always going to be pushing books. The one I recently read after way, waiting way too long was The Millionaire Next Door. Great book. This one of the one of the guys that they interviewed in there, who was one of your millionaires next door, multi-million dollar guy. He says, "I now that I'm rich, I got all these guys who call me up, and they're brokers, and they've got the next best thing, and they want to manage my money. And I tell you how I choose the guys that call me. Here's how I choose. I answer them by saying, I would be happy to invest with you, 
please send me your tax returns for your last three years as well as your portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what this astounding thing is? You know why it got easy to pick them? Because none of them ever did that. So, you know, these it's like these guys don't follow their own advice or, or, or just so you don't take financial advice from just anybody, even if they are rich. You don't know how they got it. Right. So consult expertise. This is one of my tenets of life and of teaching people how to hunt is like consult expertise in the area that you need it. And you put together the building blocks of a complete system. Now, Todd, I'm going to, this is going to be a little bit of a shift, but it's, it's something I haven't asked you. And I think it's good for a listener. All right. You talked about maybe five minutes in that you and your history in building strength faction and your whole entity, Todd, the performance coach, you've trained uh, special uh, tactical guys, special tactical. special ops types folks. Yeah. Yep, Tac- tactical is the word to use. Special ops. You've trained athletes. You trained the rugby players. In my head, I look at that and I say, "Okay, that's important. You need to deliver an amazing product," and you've done that. So I know you can deliver the product. But those guys are invested. They're, you're not the one motivating them. Their coach, their paycheck is ultimately the one motivating them. Right? Yeah. They're driven. You know that those guys, you know that those guys can walk into a gym and do it and want to do it and like to do it and feel the need. What do you do for people who are like me, whose drive is just that I want to be good on the mountain and the mountain isn't paying my paycheck? I'm, it's not starving me. How, how do you do the people who just, you gotta, you have to create the drive. You don't. A why is a why. It doesn't matter okay. what the why is. A why is a why. You can't, I don't create a drive for anyone. That's not, it's just not reality. Anybody that, that's a coach that says that it's about, I motivate people. Bull fucking shit. You don't motivate anybody. <laughs> you don't motivate anybody. People want to do something or they do not. You can create an environment in which people feel as though they can motivate themselves oh, and you can help people discover their reasons for why they're doing something and then they can take action. But coaches don't motivate anybody. They can create that environment, but that is it. And so, for example, it's like NFL guys. I mean, dude, like if I, I would not want to be a team strength and conditioning coach in the NFL because most of them don't give a shit. They got there because they're mutants, not because they trained. They had they picked the right parents. And so it's like they're we have at my gym, we train regular folks, but they all have a reason for why they're there. And helping them connect that to what they're doing is and why they're doing it is 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 the game. And that's what you you do for people. So it's like for me, it's like when it comes to to guys that that want to go hunt and they want to go do it well. You know, they have some semblance of understanding of what they're getting themselves into. Maybe it's like, you know, they went out last year and they like know that they have to be prepared. They know that they're not going to enjoy it as much if they're not ready or they know the dangers of not being ready to go into the mountains, whether you're going to hunt elk or you've got a sheep hunt in August or whatever it might be. You know, there's there's something that's driving them to consider why they would work out and why they would train themselves to be ready for it. And it's up to me to help understand what that is and put them in the position that allows them to uh, take action on that with their training. 
and to really understand what it is about training that they like, what they dislike, to make sure that I'm meeting them there. Because I have a million resources. I understand training inside and out. I have a million ways to get the same job done. Um, I mean, there are tools that really, really work, and I'm going to probably try to convince people like, hey, well, this is the shit that we need to be doing. But, um, you know, I can meet people where they're at. And I think that that's the thing to understand is like in whatever realm of your life that you want to talk about, <clears throat> but especially with training or something that is would be considered – I guess you could you could technically identify it as unnecessary is like you have to help people figure out just why in the hell they're doing it, because you're not going to you're not going to you're not going to motivate anybody. That's that's bullshit. I think it's sorry uh, to keep this inclusive for everybody listening. I hope other people pick this up, too. Like, It's adorable that you just said. I, I don't even think you're being humble. I don't know. It's adorable that you just said you don't. You don't motivate people. And then, like two sentences later, you said you just help them discover why it is there. And I think, I think maybe what you what we just stumbled upon is this whole thing. Like the key to motivation is discovery. I don't know. And because really, discovery was what the three part human predator pack meal thing really was it was a discovery that if you don't discover that we're all three of these things when we go into the woods we'll never have the motivation to do like the whole process fair i mean you're creating you're creating a lifestyle and and you were we've we've discovered that i don't know sorry no 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 you're good yeah you said you can't do it but I don't even think you're being humble. I think you just like, I, but it's not, but, but discovery is discovery is maybe like discovery is a key to motivation. There's, and there's a few things that there's, I can tell you, I, I mean, I can tell you what motivates people. They're, they're, they're extrinsic motivators and they're intrinsic motivators and extrinsic motivator would be like a paycheck, which isn't over the long haul enough. It's not enough. Right. So, for example, let's say that you – here's my – I'll give you a great example. I'll give you my mom. My mom is one of the toughest people that you'll ever meet in your life. She worked a job that she fucking hated for 20 years of her life to make sure that her youngest son, me, could eat. She just did it. She just showed up and did her job. The money was not keeping her there. If it was the extrinsic motivation, she wouldn't have lasted. It was the intrinsic motivation of making sure that her son was okay. She had a why so she could go do it. And there are, when it comes to like the raw materials of motivation, there are three, there are three tenets of, of self-determination theory, autonomy, competence, and relatedness autonomy. I feel as though I am choosing to do something that is meaningful to me or something that I want to do competence. I don't feel like a fucking idiot when I try to do it. I feel as though I have some level of, of ability and then relatedness, this connects me to myself and to other people. And those are the things that motivate people. And, and I can give you a salient example. I actually just made a post about this on Instagram today. So a few years ago, my buddy Brett, uh, who I've talked to you about before, he got me into waterfowl hunting. And you know, I've talked to you quite a few times, like, I fucking love hunting ducks and geese. It's something I really enjoy. Um, the thing is, I can't call for shit yet. And it bugs me. I can't, I'm not, I can call turkeys. I can do that pretty well. I can't call ducks and geese yet. 
And Brett is always calling. He's always calling for me to shoot. And it bugs me. So I have this aspirational identity of by this fall, by September, by the first time we go out and hunt geese, I can call. I can take some of that load off of Brett. You know, by the time the late goose season comes, I'm really good. And I can do a lot of stuff, which is maybe a little bit, uh, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Maybe I, I, I might not be as good as I want to be by then, but I have this, I have this aspirational identity. Okay. I know why I'm doing something. It's because I want to be this person. I want to be able to do this this way. And that's what motivates people. And if people can't connect with that, then there's no point. Like you don't, you know, you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped and you can't give motivation to somebody that doesn't understand why they're doing what they're doing. Now you can create, like I said, you can create an environment that has those things like self-determined, like the components of self-determination theory. Everything we do in my gym is based on that. And that's how we actually help people. Um, And you can make an environment that people want to be a part of that connects them, which is part of the self-determination theory thing. But man, if you think it's a coach's job to motivate you to go do the things that you want to do, it's just not it. That is not the game. So it's like watching the videos of rock workout or something else. Like, you know, that's like, that's not it. That's not it. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's understanding who you want to be and why you want to be that person. And then having an incremental way to get there. So I can take this back to two ways, which actually segues into one of the things that I want to talk about that we didn't get to. Um, So for the, the, the goose calling, the goose and the duck calling, I keep my calls in my truck. Every time I get into my truck, I work each call at least once. And that's success for me. I I touched it each day. I get into my truck at least four times a day. Now I have a plan. I usually call more than that. But I know, like, if I set this gigantic, like, I have to do X, I'm going to practice for 30 minutes a day. I'm not going to do that shit. But if I can make it, I'm going to blow each call once. And then I end up blowing each call for five, ten minutes while I'm driving. Then I'm going to incrementally get better. Like, that's... That is it. I'm, by the time that I want to be there, I will have built the momentum and the skills to do the things that I want to be able to do. And it's the same thing with building that ability to overcome the mental resistance to move slow or to be uncomfortable. You do that one step at a time and you do it by having good conversations with yourself and giving yourself the means to do it. So, for example, you and I were talking about this yesterday. I'll grab uh, a heavy enough kettlebell to make me uncomfortable I'll do a suitcase carry, which means I'm just holding one. It's just on one side of my body. And I'll walk as slow as I possibly can for 70 yards. All I want to do is go faster. That's all I want to do. But I break myself of doing that. Like, because you, you want to avoid the discomfort. And the thing that I keep saying to myself is like, you're fine. You're just uncomfortable. You're fine. You're just uncomfortable. And then that's how you work through it. You know, and it's like, you're fine. You're just uncomfortable. I love that. Cause I remember where we really got with that conversation yesterday. That's good to that's good to tie into this. A lot of people can probably identify with the duck calling thing. A lot of people can identify with the fitness thing. Here's what's important to remember, and I, and and my ask right now is that people really like just tune in and listen to this. I we understand that you are trying to say get in shape for hunting, and you have some things that you've done in the past and you're trying to figure out like why those don't why why you still thirst for more and the and the thing is like when it comes to working out 
you have to not it's the resistance is not necessarily the weight that you're lifting it's the activities that you're doing and so the biggest thing for you the biggest thing that you get out of those suitcase carries is that you know you don't want to do them you do them you make yourself do it the real resistance training is in your brain not in your anterior chain or whatever supports the weight of the kettlebell in your hand. And so the example is you can pick up that duck call every time you get in the car. And if all you do is go, (laughs) like anyone can do that. It doesn't actually call in ducks. Just like you can go to the gym every day But if all you do is the three lifts that you're comfortable with, like a bench press, a curl, and some pull-ups, you don't get the results you want. Yes, you are moving weight. Yes, you are applying resistance. Yes, that last rep is fucking hard, and you sweat it, and it feels good. But you still leave there. If you just do the lifts that you're comfortable with, you still leave there with this thing in your brain that's not exercise, that's not advancing, that's not growing, that's not helping you get to where you want to be. So the really what you are trying to get people to do here is to struggle with their actions. So that means you have to challenge yourself to do a feeding mallard, to get your duck call and figure out how to get your tongue to move fast enough to go right yeah that's what's hard and if you don't do that every time you get into the car you will never get better at the thing that's actually holding you back right if you don't go into the gym and do the three exercises that you fucking just hate you'll never get actually get to where you want to be you'll just be you'll be instagram you'll be instagram you'll just be the good things in your life on display for everybody but you'll never tackle the parts that are actually probably holding you back from achieving the goal you want. I rest my case. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, there's a pretty passionate there. I'm, you did. I'm sweaty. You got after it. I heard, I, <laughs> I heard the sweat. You, you're right about a lot of things there. You're right. Like it's, we have to approach what makes us uncomfortable. And the only way to do that is to know why you're doing it. Because if you don't have something on the other side that you want to be some, and it's, I think it's more about being the person that you want to be um, than anything else. Because it's like, that's why people that like, oftentimes, you know, they come in with a fat loss goal. All right. Well, they get to the fat loss and then they're just like, okay, well I did that. Now I'm done. And they just relapse. You have to, it has to be more than that. And it's, and I can give you a really good example, just personal you know, and, and it actually comes from another one of our conversations when we were talking about, you know, we have our caribou hunt in August and it's like, I want to be the guy that's like, I killed a caribou. I did my work. I got it all back. We get back to camp and someone's like, Hey, I just, I just got, I put one down. I need help. Like, well, let's go get it. And then somebody else says, Hey, I got, I need help. All right, well, let's go get it. And then we go get it. And I'm the guy that can do that. And I see myself being that person. So it's like when I had an hour's worth of high intensity continuous training to do today, it sucked. There were, there were times during the, the, the training session that I had to bargain with myself, but it's like, I saw Todd in 
North Central Alaska hunting and having to help people and being the guy that can do it. And you know what's interesting to this? I probably shouldn't say this because it's going to challenge people from not doing it. There are a lot of Alaskan sheep hunters and backcountry hunters who don't train. They just go out and do it. And, and I just wonder if it's – the reason they don't need to train is because they, like, they don't need convincing that they can go back in and help their buddy take another load out. They, they, like their brain knows it's done that. It's comfortable. It can do it. They know they can do it. If, if really, if the real training is all, is all, I don't know, would you say like what percent of training is just purely brain showing yourself you can do it? I mean, it's some, I mean, you know, it's all about drive. It's, it's both. I mean, it is a lot mental and it, but there are physical adaptations that we need. I, I think the thing there is, is like, um, sure. You can go get that last load with your buddy. Sure. You can do that. Um, I'd be able to do that right now too, just because I know my personality, but I want to be able to do it and experience it in the way that I want to experience it and not have any questions about doing it and enjoy myself as I do it. And there might be parts of other people's personalities that just allow them to do that, but that's great. That's all well and good. I also want to be able to do that when I'm 65 and not just when I'm 34. And the way to do that is to train your body to handle it and not just go beat the piss out of it all the time just going and doing the packing or just going and showing up and be like, Oh, I can do it. Like that level of arrogance comes back to bite you in the ass. It's just like anything else, man. You know, it's just like the guys are like, Oh man, I'm a pretty good shot. I don't need to go shoot before I go. Uh, you know what I have, my gear is pretty good. I don't need to make sure test everything and make sure it's good. It's just that level of thing that just, it just snakes your longevity, man. And that's not the person I want to be. Right. Right. And, um, yeah, I have nothing to follow up because that is so <laughs> concise. But but what the subject that you're on that is a note that I wanted to come back to, I think, is the main pillar is human. Yeah. And and so so much of being human in order to be an outdoorsman to get more and is just understanding that like this trip to Alaska for you truly started somewhere about March twenty third. 2018 something like that yeah 2019 2019 when you and i first met yep and you decided that like doing a hunt with this guy is what is congruent for todd and this is the kind of life that i want to live and suddenly everything in your life kind of revolves around this value system and so i i geek out on values because i had a a um a performance coach, uh, not strength and performance, just a performance coach. Um, Mike Green helped me a lot see this. The first exercise we did was look at your values. Why are you doing things? Because these five things are the tenets of my core. Like This is what is crucial to me. And I told you, one of mine is always nature. This sympathia, the Stoics call it, this connectivity to the like to outside to fresh air and like earth. Um, and so I know that my actions need to lead me down a path that goes that way. And they also need to lead me through challenge and honesty, integrity, uh, through growth and through health, taking care of my body in, you know, inside and out. And so 
that's a lot of what the human thing is, is really, really manicuring your life. Not even manicuring, but like, uh, it's almost as much culling out the, pulling the weeds as it is cultivating the good stuff to generate your opportunity to take care of. And, and the opportunity is not just, I want to hunt August this year for caribou. It is, I want to hunt, like you said, until I'm 80. I want to create opportunity my entire life. This is what my life I want to be. And that means I needed my finances need to support that. My relationships need to support that. My time management needs to support that everything. And that's, that's what it takes to be human because our brain, our frontal cortex allows us to think and strategize and plan and, and really create who it is we want to be. And we can't really say that any, many other animals in the kingdom have that ability to make that, those kind of decisions for their own destiny. They sure don't. I want to, uh... I don't, I mean, I don't know that there are a lot of big bucks in the world that if you take 10 bucks in the woods, I don't know how many of them you can put together and coach them to be like, you're going to be the biggest bastard in this woods. <laughs> and they can be like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to eat only this most select nutrients. I'm going to eat only the most whatever I'm going to drink on schedule so i make sure i stay properly hydrated <laughs> i'm gonna do some self-focused work i'm gonna do some strength training i'm gonna be the biggest baddest buck i don't know i i think it just maybe that's a big naivety but i i kind of think it comes by deer purely genetically and it, there's not a lot of self-determination in wild animals no genetic genetics and environment is is well it's a lot for people too but um i want to close I, so i i have one story that's going to kind of Im- encapsulate pretty much everything and especially just what you said great so i'm training this guy um that he's getting ready to go do the unlimiteds in montana Um, he's done before he's done a lot of hunting he's done a lot of really cool hunts and um you know i met with him in person when i was home in pennsylvania and you know we were talking and and he said you know he has all these hunts he wants to do and he wants to go get ready for the unlimiteds and he's going to go do another hunt next year and the year after that and he's 55 right now and but he said, you know, the one thing I really want, there's this hike um, back where I'm from up to this fire tower. I think, I think it's called the Greenwood Fire Tower. It's, uh, you know, uh, below it is Greenwood Furnace State Park. On the other side is Allen Seger State Park. And it's a bitch going up there. It's, it's, it's from the Allen Seger side up to the fire tower. It's, it's a few miles and it's pretty much straight up. And uh, he's like, I want to be able to do that when I'm 80. He's like, that's what I really want. And I was like, I really want to help you be able to do that. And so, you know, I was with my buddy, Josh Hall, um, who's done, he's a a great hunter, phenomenal outdoorsman. He played in the NFL for a number of years too. He's just a really cool dude. And I was back with Josh at his house and he gets a text from the guy that I'm training. And the guy actually happens to be his boss and has a date on it. And it says the date, um, you know, May 31st, blah, 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 whatever year. And, and, And Josh misread it. He was like, May 31st, he's like, it's Memorial Day. He's like, I'm not going to be able to go on a hike with him on Memorial Day. My wife's never going to let me do that. And I looked at the date, and I was like, you should look closer at that date, Josh. He's like, what is it? He was like, it said 2044. I was like, dude, it's his 80th birthday. He wants to be able to walk up the fire tower on his 80th birthday, and he wants you to go with him. Um, so I was like, that's uh, that's it. Like, that's kind of the whole game right there. That's 
that is what it's all about. That's a true human, man. That's cool. Yeah. So, well, I guess, uh, Steve, you're solid. I like you, buddy. I appreciate we could do this first episode together. I look forward to doing a lot more with you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. It's only going to be like, uh, dude, like six or seven weeks now, and I'll get to see you. I'm really yeah, it's excited. Pretty close. I'm really excited about that. I think I am excited to be on more episodes. Uh, I will support you any way I can. Um, I have my own podcast, Alaskan Odysseys, which is really uh, now that I like listen to what you got going on. It seems like it's it's really only one aspect of what you have going on, um, but it's very symbiotic. I love this. I love this show. I think I think we could deliver a lot to people by like talking about a plan, like maybe recording a planning session for this caribou hunt. I think so too. But uh, it's not just an Alaskan adventure. It is how the hunt is a life, a lifetime, a day to day kind of preparation activity and a purpose. Um, and then we can do a recap afterwards. Yeah. Whatever you need from me, man, I'm here for you. Let's do that episode as soon as possible. Let's do the let's do the caribou hunt prep episode as soon as you're free again. Let's get it done. All right, I'm in. I appreciate you, Steve. Thanks, brother. Cheers.